Yes, I'm starting to sweat. You know my shirt's all wet. What a feeling. In the sound that abounds and resounds and rebounds off the ceiling. You gotta have it, baby, you can't do without. When you get the feeling, you gotta suck them out. Put that mic in my hand and let me kick out the jams. Yeah, kick out the jams. I wanna kick them out. The most famous song, deservedly, by one of the most infamous proto-punk bands and should have been one of the most famous rock bands in history, the MC5. Rest in peace. Really sad news. (laughs) Super sad news. Uh, Their guitar player, Wayne Kramer, died February 2nd, just three days ago, age 75, of pancreatic cancer. That really hits me bad. I knew Wayne. I knew him. Not well. It wasn't like a close friend of mine. I met him, I don't know, six or seven, seven or eight times. Interviewed him twice. Got to be on a first name with bassist. I'd see him around. We'd sit down and chat for 15, 20 minutes. It's always nice when people learn your name. Not everyone does. I don't expect everyone to know my name, even if I've met them half a dozen times. Wayne was just one of those people who remembered people's names, remembered how they knew them. Seemed very grateful for the support that myself and our magazine gave him both as a solo artist, which is what he was the first time I interviewed him right after he signed to um, uh, Epitaph Records in the mid-90s. And then again, when the MC5 began their reunion starting in 2003, and uh, I sat down with him and then surviving members, Michael Davis and Dennis Thompson. Davis no longer with us. Thompson's still with us. And I had a big, long, like, two-hour interview with the three of them. Really funny. The three of them together were actually quite hilarious for people who were in such a serious band. Um, but then again, if you know their version, they used to start their sets with back in the 60s of the um, Ted Taylor song. Well, that was the artist who recorded it anyway, Love is Like a Rambling Rose. They could kind of poke fun at themselves a little bit, too, even while awing you. I mean, the version of that song is absolutely awe-striking. You're listening to Big Takeover Show. My name is Jack Rabbit. You're listening to RealPunkRadio.com. This is show number 472 in as many Mondays of that program. I've been your host. I'm quite grateful to be so all that time. It really is sad that he's dead. I'm going to start today's show uh, doing not only the original version of that song that Wayne used to sing to start every show, even though he wasn't the lead singer in the band. He would come out and sing that song, and then Rob Tyner, the singer, would join the band for the rest of the set and sing lead. Uh, If you know the MC5's live version of that song, which you can find on their first album, Kick Out the Jams, the same song I was just singing was the title track. Recorded live at the Grandy Ballroom from October 30th to 31st, Halloween night in 1968, their home base in Detroit. As they were the Motor City Five, um, then you you probably know that version. Uh, there's a better version from Tartar Field, Wayne State University, the following year, July 1970. I'm going to play you a different track from that um, live footage we're going to hear Looking at You after we heard Ted Taylor's original version. 
of Love is Like a Rambling Rose to start today. And then I'll play you some, um, I guess, another old song, and I'll explain the reason why I'm going to play it for you. Then three new ones, and then um, a novelty old song. In other words, today we're going to do what we usually do, a mix of old and new, quite a, f- quite a few new records to play for you today. But uh, with the death of, gosh, that's really sad, <laughs> really sad, the death of the great, one of the great guitar players of all time, Wayne Kramer, and one of the great bands of all time. I, I really got to start today's show. I have no choice with this song that pretty much all of us only know uh, because of the MC5's cover, but this is one of the great R&B slash soul recordings of the 60s from 1965. I've also played you in the past a Jerry Lee Lewis version of this too, so a couple people had at this, but this is the original four year, or three years, sorry, before the MC5 made it infamous in punk rock circles by Ted Taylor of Love is Like a Rambling Rose, followed by the MC5 live at Tartar Field in Detroit, Wayne State University, where some of them had attended July 19th, 1970, uh, their version of Looking at You, long before uh, The Damned covered it in 1979. But here, here we are. I hope you enjoy these two shows, uh, two songs. I hope you enjoy the whole show. But here they are, Ted Taylor, followed by Live MC5. <laughs>
someone screaming out loud. I saw you standing there. I saw you long, saw you long. Hey, yeah, yeah. Open up my eyes. Made me realize all I want to do. All I want to do now, girl. Look at you, looking at your baby. Look at you, looking at your baby. seldom that you come across a group that you really like and this is no exception I don't like them in the least um, they say a lot of things which I think are important such as um, yeah where's the bar and uh, I'd like to give a very warm introduction to a young group who possibly younger than me called the Stranglers
It's the sacred cows. It has to be the sacred cows. Who else could it be but the sacred cows? One question, 99. What's that, Max? Who are the sacred cows? They're the hottest rock and roll group in the country, Max. Of course, the sacred cows. (laughs) 
harmonic sound control fed into the amplifier, the swinging sounds ain't just hip, they are hypnotizing. The missing control agents. How awful. You said it, they're terrible dancers. <laughs> As you can see, their minds are grouped in my wavelength. One word from me, they'd wipe out their own grandmothers. Okay, cats, freeze the sound. Okay, boys, from the top. You're wasting your time, Guru. I've trained my mind to go completely blank anytime I wanted to. That's right, he can do that. <laughs> Don't speak too soon. You ain't heard the lyrics yet. Thrill, thrill, thrill. Kill, kill, kill. Make the scene. Knock off the dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bump off a square That's what it's about Max, quick! I'm weakening! The lie pills! I only have one left, 99. We'll break it in half, Max! Right. Uh, uh. Oh, Max! trippers and hippies you gather around the boob tube and tune up how you dig we are through cogitating we're through meditating we have given up infiltrating now we are going to start devastating and eliminating so you take your cue from the groovy guru and listen while the sacred cows lay the big message on you go man go All right, Guru, that's it. The show's over. Stop the music. Keep it going, cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bump off the square. That's what it's about. Hate it in. Love it out. Well, I did it, 99. I hope I'm not too late. I don't know how much of that message got through. None of it got through, Max. Don't tell me you pulled the plug. I pulled the plug, Max. You asked me not to tell you that, didn't you? <laughs> well, there's that novelty song that I promised you. Not a hit single, like most novelty songs. Probably something that even Dr. Demento never played, because it was only on TV, never released as a record. You got to get that off the original TV show. I bet you a good half of you out there, if not considerably more, were fully aware of that song. That is, if you're old fans of Get Smart, as I am, from episode 75 of that program. Did you know that it lasted that long? It was a pretty popular show in the 60s from season three. 
January 13th, 1968, that aired the name of the program from Get Smart was The Groovy Guru. And indeed, Larry Storch, who had spent most of the 60s um, in F Troop as uh, one of the bumbling company <laughs> led by Captain Palmer. Captain Palmer, Ken Barry was the name of the actor, and his son, John Barry. Of course, it was in one of my favorite underground rock bands of the last 30 years or so, Idaho. But uh, uh, the uh, some of his men included Larry Storch. Larry Storch was absolutely fabulous in that show, and he was great as a groovy guru. You can hear him and Don Adams and Barbara Feldon, the two main stars of Get Smart, in that recording. But that goes down as being recorded by the Sacred Cows. That is the name of the band that the groovy guru is marshaled in order to cause chaos for chaos. And that song was called, if it's called anything, it's called Kill, Kill, Kill. Now, who are the sacred cows? Who are the three guys in cow outfits up there in the the studio performing for the great DJ, the groovy guru? Well, there were three guys portrayed by Ben Benet on guitar, John Greek on guitar, and Jerry Sheff on bass. No drummer. The three of them actually wrote that song for Get Smarter, quite obviously, and recorded it as well and appeared in the episode. So they're entirely the genius of that song. All of them were session musicians in L.A. at that time, which is how they got the gig. Bassist Chef had been playing on sessions by folks like The Seeds and The Doors, in fact, and had toured with Elvis Presley and Bob Dylan, so he was quite well-connected. Whereas John Greek went back even further, he was a founding leader of the Whalers, well, not the Bob Marley group, the Whalers before that from Tacoma. He was in them from 1957 to 1960, so a year before the now Rockin' Roberts-led band decided to record a Richard Berry song called Louie Louie and introduced it as a result to the Pacific Northwest before Paul Revere and the Raiders had the local hit and then the Kingsmen had the national hit and made it into one of the most recognizable songs of all time. Now, I love, absolutely love, um, the Groovy Guru's insistence that the Sacred Cows were one of the hottest rock and roll groups in the country. I think that's funny. And if you've seen the episode, you see Nine Nine succumb to the uh, brainwashing. Basically, it's a song to brainwash the public into killing people. It's hilarious, right? With the famous lyrics, just don't stand there being placid. Get into some psychopathic acid. I'll take you to a place that's purple and paisley. There's no problem. Everybody is crazy. Come on, get rid of your frustration. Get into our hate generation. <laughs> Just brilliant. So uh, kudos, Chef Greek and Ben A. For, for writing those lyrics. Just perfect for that episode. Well, I wanted to end that set on a little bit of hilarity because we started on such sad news. I'll get to that in a moment. You are listening to Big Takeover Show on realpunkradio.com. I'm your host, Jack Rabbit. I hope you're enjoying the music so far, despite the um, bad news. Life goes on, as does music. And I was, uh, until that death, I was most excited to hear that there was going to be a new Michael Head and the Red Elastic Band album. You may recall a couple of weeks, maybe a month ago, I played you the band's new single, Chow Chow Bambino, but there was no announcement at that time that it was for a new album. And in fact, it was only two years ago when the group came out with their album, Dear Scott. And that was unusual because Michael Head has not released that many albums. I think only five in Shack, like two or three 
Nepal Fountains going back to the very early 80s and uh, I guess about three records under his own name. So that's not a lot for 44 years. But uh, now he's getting a little prolific on us, which is good news. Now, the previous Red Elastic Band album before Dear Scott was in 2017. My favorite of theirs so far, Adios Senor Pussycat. But uh, I read an interview with Michael Head uh, where he was describing the song we heard there. The song is called Sheryl's Ghost. I guess Sheryl's short for Shirley. And the album, which is due May the 3rd, is called Loophole. So that's the news. But of Sheryl's Ghost, uh, he said that Sheryl was a real person, a neighbor of mine, quote-unquote, living in the flat above me. She was a collector with sequin dresses from her dancing days around the world, hanging around the place. Amongst these piles of stuff was my mum was her mum's ashes, excuse me, but she couldn't find them. Before getting evicted, she asked me to find them. I did that, handed them to her, and shortly after weird things started hanging around or happening around the flat. My son Arlo's theory was that I'd disturbed her and we were living in a Tuxteth ghost story. So <laughs> that's one thing to inspire you to write a song, I guess, and now you're totally hip to the backstory there. And in addition to the good news of the album, here's more good news. You may have heard that Mr. Head is coming out with a book, a memoir, on August 15th. It's also called Chow Chow Bambino, and in the subtitle is A Magical Memoir. And also, if you're listening to this in England, I know there are English listeners or UK listeners, he's going to be touring the album in May. So a ton of good news, at least offsetting today's bad news there from one of those great artists of the last 45 years, Michael Head, and his band. As far as younger bands, I'm kind of excited about this new album by Tori. I can't remember who it is who requested that band here on this program a year or two ago, but they did me a solid because now they've signed to uh, one of my favorite labels, Slumberland, and they have a self-titled album coming out March 8th. The uh, Something Happy album is the one I played for you some time ago. A track called Cold Snack was the track I played for you recently, the first of two singles that I know of from the self-titled album. This is a San Francisco brother-sister act led by Ryan and Kelly Gonsalves. And uh, their last LP was produced by Sammy Perez from The She's and Cherry Glazer. And this one, Matthew Ferrara of The Umbrellas, came in to help capture the sounds in Ryan's home studio. That's what I've told you before. I'm repeating it because they're not that well-known a band, but uh, hopefully they will be soon. Whereas Magnet School hasn't made a record in a while, speaking of bands much younger than Michael Head, uh, they're an Austin band, and uh, they have a new album that's due out, or sorry, a um, EP, I think it is, due out soon, called The Art of Telling the Truth. And we heard The Raven do I have that right? I'm going to have to look that up. I might have been telling you about an old record. Hold on a second here. Let me look this up. Mm, let me. It's hard to do this because I'm doing this live, but uh, looking on my phone, I I think I'm right about this. i got to confirm it, but I think I was giving you a title of one of their previous records. My mind is correct, and yes, the way I looked it up is because we actually just premiered that song, The Raven on our website at BigTakeOver.com just a couple days ago, so that was an easy find. Sorry to make you wait, but uh, I wanted to get that right for you. The Raven EP is the name of that. So we heard the title track from the Austin band on the Shifting Sounds label, and uh, this is another one I have a quote about. I think it's best to quote sometimes when I know what a song is about, and I can pass that on to you. The band says on on the um, site, 
It's about being wronged and the pain that follows and then planning what happens next. Then comes the sweet revenge and then a curse for all. So <laughs> quite a lot to backstories today, right? But uh, uh, that was it for the new stuff in that set. We started that set unusually for me with three old songs. You may have recognized The Stranglers recorded live August 22nd, 1978, before that wonderful Austin band Magnus Gulp. Uh, and the Stranglers gave us Tank, plus also a song called Curfew, live on the BBC TV show called Revolver back then, uh, August 78. If you ever watch the footage, which I recommend, there's mass pogoing, especially on Curfew, which is sung by Jean-Jacques Burnell, and uh, he's a really great bassist in that band. Still going into this... current day. Uh, they're hanging out fairly soon. He is the last original member. He's not the last one alive. Hugh Cornwell has been out of that band since like 1990 and refuses to have anything to do with him since being a solo artist himself. But uh, it was just a, a track I felt like playing for you. It seemed like it really went well after the MC5. I could have played you the Dams cover of Looking at You, but uh, I wanted to let the MC5's original version suffice. We did hear uh, a live version, though. Again, live at Tartar Field, the MC5. Wayne State University, Detroit, July 19th, 1970. Again, rest in peace, their guitar player, Wayne Kramer, born in 48, died in 24, age 75, died three days ago. And you've really got to watch that. Speaking of live footage, you got to watch on YouTube. Uh, I got that from a documentary that got blocked by Mr. Kramer. He became disenchanted with the people he had originally given so much of his time to and uh, didn't give them access to the music, which is how you can block a documentary. You don't give them permission uh, via the publisher to use the original music. And without that, you really don't have much of a documentary. But if you ever get a hand, get a hold of that documentary, it really tells their story. For, for at least on YouTube, you can watch the three songs live from the greatest live footage of the band ever seen, at least that I've seen, including the one we heard there looking at you. And just Kramer is just an absolute showstopper if you ever watch that footage. And I hope you do. Uh, when the show is over, why not just put that on? It's only three songs that you can find on YouTube. They do um, uh, Rambling Rose, the song we opened with today, only their version. Uh, Kick Out the Jams, the song I was singing to start today's show, and that uh, recording you just heard there. Unfortunately, this means that with Kramer's death, there's only one member left in the band who still walks this planet. Uh, Only one who can still tell you from his own point of view why they really were one of the 20 greatest live bands in history. If you disagree with me, just watch that footage. But uh, Rob Tyner, the singer on that track, he died in 1991, only 46 of a heart attack. Myself and my old friend Rob, uh, sorry, Bobby Shaver from Bad Religion at that time, uh, he and I and my friend Paul Riggleberg once visited Rob Tyner's grave. That's not something I do much. In fact, I don't think I've ever done that with any other rocker that I like, but it was, it just felt good to pay Rob Tyner our respects in a private ce- a cemetery in Ann Arbor, Michigan, after we'd all seen the Sex Pistols at Cobo Hall in 96. We drove on out there and uh, visited his grave. He has a a grave marker not only under the name Rob Tyner, but under his real name, Rob DeMiner. I guess his rocker friends put out the Rob Tyner one. It says, Let Me Be Who I Am, which is from Kick Out the Jams. And his family put out the Rob DeMiner one. They're side by side, and I think that's fair enough. 
Well, three years later is when Fred Sonic Smith died, Patty Smith's husband. He died also 46 years old in 94 of a heart failure. Uh, almost a decade after I interviewed Mr. Davis, Michael Davis, he died in 2012 at age 68 of liver failure. And now, obviously, um, Mr. Kramer died of pancreatic cancer. So Dennis Thompson now joins a sad club of uh, people who are the last people standing in their bands. Uh, I mentioned some of them and some of the little things I was texting my friends. Uh, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, Liz or Betty Weiss joined that club, the death of Mary Weiss. She's the last Shangri-La. Jody Stevens, of course, a big star. Kenny Jones from The Small Faces. Joey Mullen of Badfinger. Otis Williams from the original Temptations. And to a certain degree, Richard Hell from The Heartbreakers, although obviously he wasn't in the lineup that went on to make all the records. He was kind of uh, only in the band for a short while before he formed... Uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids and said, so I'm not really sure we should count him. All four of the main heartbreakers are dead. But it's a sad club. I'm sure you can find some other ones like that. Uh, really, the heartbreakers and the Ramones are in that club where everyone's dead, uh, all of them way too young. But uh, long may uh, Dennis Thompson live, and I'm sorry about uh, Mr. Kramer's death, and of course, I always think of Love is Like a Rambling Rose, the song he sang lead in a very high falsetto voice, trying to kind of vaguely mimic that of Ted Taylor on that fabulous, fabulous 1965 recording. Ted Taylor died young, too. He was only 53 when he died in a car crash in Lake Charles, Louisiana in 1987. More of an R&B star as his singles only twice barely cracked the top 100 in the pop charts and uh, in fact, Love is Like a Rambling Rose well, only went to number 132, which is probably why even uh, black music fans of that time don't know the song well. And it was really through the MC5 to make it so that song would kind of live on past that fabulous recording we just heard there. It was a song actually written by country scribe Mary John Wilkin, along with Fred Birch and Aubrey Wilson. Wilkin is the guy who wrote the country classic The Long Black Veil. And uh, once again, this is not the same song Rambling Rose and that King Cole had a hit for in 1962, three years before Ted Taylor's um, recording there of a totally different song. Well, I've talked too much. I want to go on. Obviously, the song I was singing to start today's show was uh, Ram- was uh, Kick Out the Jens, again from 1968. And I should very quickly thank the sponsors of this show before I go on. I know I've been talking a long time. It's just, I get emotional sometimes, like a lot of us do, when people I know, even who aren't good friends of mine and people that I've admired since I was, gosh, 16 years old, fiercely admired when I first got a tape of that from a friend of mine. Just tremendous, tremendous music and a really interesting guy. Uh, if you know anything about him, I was talking to Billy Bragg about him in the cover story we did just two years ago because he and Wayne were working very closely on jail guitar doors, which got instruments to uh, prisoners, as Wayne Kramer had been a prisoner for practicing what he called illegitimate capitalism. He was in federal prison for like three or four or five years. He was caught selling drugs, but he never went back. He turned his life around. Uh, was a really exemplary guy in many respects and just a fabulous person to speak to as well. Uh, I really, really enjoyed my conversations with him. They tend to go on a while because he was a really intelligent and friendly and interesting guy, and he seemed to care about the people he was talking to, which is a quality that came through in a lot of the posts I saw 
on Facebook this week, so it wasn't just me who thought so. Well, let me, as I said, quickly uh, thank five of the sponsors of this show. This is a 100% listener-supported show, so I couldn't do this without them. Uh, the people who go to patreon.com slash jackrabbit, and, uh, which is my page there, and uh, they just pledge a small amount of money, and the Patreon site charges their credit card start every single month. So just 12 times a year. So if you pledge 10 bucks, you basically don't even notice it or 5 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. But uh, let me thank uh, five of them, including Dittmar Oltner, Ed Parker, Randall Pasky, or Pask, probably Randall Pasky, Wesley Pence, and Tim Pope on behalf of all those people and the folks that actually also just send checks or PayPal payments or uh, Venmo or cash or whatever. It all adds up to uh, crowdfunding, and I'm glad to be here every week. Well, I am, as I said, anxious to go on to play you some more music. I'm going to do what I've done the last couple weeks, in the last month or so, which is play you four bands that are interviewed in the new issue of Big Takeover, as obviously that's what I've been doing for 44 years now. Uh, the editor and publisher and co- co-founder, though the other co-founder only existed for one issue of that magazine. Uh, we have... Tracks to play you that are of new vintage from the clientele, the Rat Boys and Mountain Goats, all, all of them are well interviewed, and Oldie from Blonde Redhead. Blonde Redhead is also interviewed in the new issue. But let's start with the clientele. Uh, they've been at it the, um, for such a long time, 32 years, I think 33 years now, and still doing such fabulous music, to use that word for the fourth time this show, I think, and I apologize for that. Uh, they have a new album, I Am Not There Anymore, we sent James A. Broshai to interview them, at least uh, Alistair McLean, the singer-guitarist. And when you hear this track in the next three to follow, you'll see why we wanted to interview all those people. And hopefully they will entice you to either order the issue from us at uh, shop.bigtakeover, or, uh, yeah, shop.bigtakeover.com or to read these interviews if you have the issue and haven't read it already. Well, here it is, the clientele before the Rat Boys, Mountain Goats, and Blonde Redhead Uh, This song from I Am Not There Anymore, their uh, most recent album, is called Blue Over Blue.
Raising his face in the strength of the safety visor Leaving only slightly diminished All of the wiser
I'm wearing doesn't hide the secret I've tried concealing When he left he promised me that he'd be back by the time it was revealing The sun behind the cloud just cast a crawling shadow over the fields of clover And time is running out for me that he would hurry down from Dover I've been gone so long when I left the snow was deep upon the ground 
She has seen the spring and summer come and now the leaves are turning brown. At any time a tiny face will show itself, the waiting's almost over. But she won't have a name to give it if I don't hurry down from Dover. My folks weren't understanding when they found out they sent me from the home place. My daddy said if folks found out he'd be ashamed to ever show his face. She could not refuse me when I needed her She was the only one I loved And she did not believe that I was using her When sundown pales. 
Some live Donovan there for you to close that set. A song that I'm sure you know is a hit in its time. Still occasionally on the oldies stations, a bit of a classic. But that's not the original, not the uh, studio version. It went to number 23 in the U.S. charts in 1965 and number 4 back in his native England. So much bigger hit there. But that was a live version a good seven years later from England. Live on the BBC, our second song today that uh, emanates from British television from um, a program, in fact, called Donovan in Concert. He was big enough to get his own show as opposed to uh, just appearing on somebody else's as a guest with his famous song, Catch the Wind. That song is famous. Uh, I don't say that just because it was a top 30 hit in its time. There's a lot of those songs that have come and gone. I often spotlight on this program. No, uh, there's been a hundred cover versions of that song released to date. Over a hundred. I think that's testimonial, to use an MC5-related word. (laughs) That's testament for sure of what a famous song that is. Even when it was first uh, released, by 1966, there were also already three pretty great covers of it by some famous folks, including Johnny Rivers, Paul Revere and the Raiders, to name-check them again, and Cher. And pretty soon thereafter, Glenn Campbell and Claudine Langey. And over the years, I heard and liked other versions by Eartha Kitt, Buck Owens, <coughs> Joan Baez, who recorded it twice with other folks, uh, Rocky Erickson, Susanna Hoffs, Tommy Keene, Bobby Darren. The list could go on for a while, but I'd bore the pants off you. Some other folks are a little less famous or a little less interesting to me. But yeah, that song has got legs, as they say. Uh, even though we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of its release. 
Whereas Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood are quite famous, but uh, unfortunately, um, only their first album together, Nancy and Lee, is famous. More recently, the second album, which a couple of songs off of I've played for you over the years, uh, has been reissued just very recently on the Light in the Attic label, who are really good at that sort of thing. Uh, they came up with a very nice package honoring the follow-up to that 1968 album, Nancy and Lee. It was called Nancy and Lee Again. And I think it was a very inspired pairing. The second album is nowhere near as good as the first, but it still has some really good stuff, including the tracks I played for you before. And that one, which was called Down from Dover. The unmistakable voices of both of them, the late Lee Hazelwood. And they're still with us, Nancy Sinatra. I've seen her play a couple times over the years. She's always good fun. Long may she thrive. Joel Stoker before that here on the Big Takeover Show on RealPunkRadio.com. I'm Jack Rabbit, your host. I've been really into his new album, The Undertow, the first solo album he's ever made after five albums with the Rifles, one of the great bands of the last two decades in London. They haven't made enough records to suit me, so it's good to get a sixth one of any kind from Mr. Stoker, although he claims they are in the studio making a sixth Rifles album. I hope that really is A, true, and B, that they finish it and get it out, because he's a very consistent songwriter. Again, the album is The Undertow. The track we heard today is called Walls Fall, and apparently that's only the third song off that record I've played for you. I found out about it a little later than when it originally came out in the fall. So I've got some catching up there to do, but expect to hear quite a few more tracks from that record. It's a really great record. Blonde Redhead before that gave us a song called 23, the title track of their 2007 album. Uh, I think it's the second time we've talked to Kazu Makino in our pages. It's been a while, so I thought it was a good time to have Ryan Gabos, uh, who pitched me on that, or Ryan Gabos, I'm not sure which I never actually met Ryan in the flesh, I don't think, but he's a good writer for us for a long time, and he did a nice job sitting down with Miss Makino of that band from around these parts. Mountain Goats, on the other hand, have been also going back a long time, back to 2002, and it was high time that Chris Parker sat down with John Darnielle on our behalf. Uh, they have that new album, Jenny from Thebes, and Mountain Goats gave us Murder at the 18th Street Garage for today's show. Rat Boys were the one in that set of the four who don't go back to the aughts, but they claim they came damn close. They've been going now 14 years since 2010, that Chicago band led by Julius Steiner, along with uh, Sean Newman, Dave Sagan, and Marcus Nucio. We heard the title track of their most recent album called The Window, and that was Juan E. Rodriguez Aguilar, who interviewed Miss Steiner. And yet again, I think the third time, it's got to be a record. I have a backstory for you, that song, in the words of the people who wrote, wrote it. So it's not my impression or my artistic idea or my critic-like um, you know, summation. No, this is from the horse's mouth. She said, I wrote this song a few days after the death of my grandma in June 2020. She didn't have COVID, but because of the pandemic, my grandmother wasn't able to visit or my grandfather, sorry, wasn't able to visit her in person at the nursing home to say goodbye. He ended up standing outside her room and saying goodbye through an open window. A lot of the lyrics are direct quotes of things he said to her in those final moments. And that's the sort of, uh, end quote, excuse me, that's the sort of backstory I think is really helpful uh, because it really um, 
gives you an idea of what uh, inspires the creative process. Again, that's why I give you these backstories. When they're that interesting, at least, they're worth passing on. Uh, especially in that case, uh, those of us in New York were fully aware of all the people who died here um, during the pandemic, if not necessarily of the pandemic, and how many times there were scenes like that where people weren't allowed to say goodbye. In many cases, they weren't even allowed in the room and never even could see them through a window or anything like that. I think we talked a little with the remaining members of Ivy of how that happened, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly what they said, but I think it was a similar thing there with Adam Schlesinger. Uh, Adam, not only of Ivy, but of uh, the Fountains of Wayne band, uh, both of whom were heard on this program just last week. We started that set with a clientele. That was James A. Broshide, as I said, who sat down with Alice Dale and McLean. Uh, to talk about their new album, I Am Not There Anymore, and their 33-year career. Uh, We heard Blue Over Blue from that record, and again, what a great record that is. I think that's the sixth or seventh track I've played for you from that album, and they're all so very good. If you're new new of the program you've never heard before, what I do here is uh, very rare exceptions, of which the Ted Taylor track is the one this week. I never play you songs I've already played for you before, at least not the same recordings. You got that? Simple enough. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show so far. I do have, uh, let's see, two more sets for you. Yeah, two more sets for you before I say sayonara. And uh, this next set uh, is going to be the revival of something I've done here in the past. Uh, Not the songs, but the concept. I made, I think, 36, 37 volumes, maybe it was 38, of a cassette that I called The Many Moods of Jack Rabbit which began in the mid-90s and stretched until the mid-aughts. And uh, the tapes that I made, I used to give to friends, used to make 30 or 40 copies and just hand them out to people. And they seemed to enjoy them, so I just would make another one the next month or two uh, where I mixed brand new songs alternating with old songs. And now they're all old songs, uh, but I find them really interesting to listen to. Uh, Oddly, the one we're going to start today is one of the ones I listened to the most. I, For some reason, I just really like this one, even though it was volume 34, getting near the end of those tapes. I just had a really good batch of songs that day. You know, I never spent a lot of time making these tapes. I just throw them together from what I was listening to. And I always had fun making them, and hopefully that'll come across, which is why I share them with you here. We're going to hear the first quarter of the tape. They were 90-minute tapes. So i just give you the first half of side A. Next week or so, we'll hear side A, the second half. Well, this was a tape that I made in about three hours' time, I guess, on the 26th of February, 2002. So the um, the newer songs were from 2000, 2001, and sometimes even from early 2002, including this one. We heard the Beavis Frond uh, last week or the week before because he's got a brand-new record coming out, the man who goes also by the name Nick Solomon. But this is one of the best albums he ever made out of the many, many, many ones he's released. Back in 2000, his new album was called Valedictory Songs. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is my favorite song from that record. In fact, one of my favorite top 10 Beavis Frond songs of all time. It was a good one to open that tape for sure. Well, I'm not going to tell you anymore, so you'll be surprised at the next eight songs you hear other than this one. But this is a good one to start, as I said. From the Many Moods of Jack Rabbit, Volume 34, February 26, 2002. The Beavis Frond from the Valedictory Songs album. This song was called Artillery Row. Well, we are not a million miles. 
You wake up some cold day and find you're alone. You'll call for me, but I'm gonna tell you bye, bye, bye. When I turn around and walk away, you'll cry, cry, cry. You're gonna cry, 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 and you cry alone. When everyone's forgotten and you're left on your own, you're gonna cry, cry, cry. Love me someone new. 
my life. She showed me the road. I loved her dark, her steady gaze. The chapter is closed.
Yes, I've read the morning papers Telling me that you've made money If you think I'm gonna crawl Then think again Though I dress in rags, I'm richer Though I eat from Tim's, I'm healthier Though I live in slums, I'm purer than you, my friend And drink with you Don't look down your nose at me Cause I won't ask your sympathy I won't be your yes-er man for tape i had good fun making 22 years ago uh, those were the first eight songs as i said they're as all those tapes did they alternated brand new songs at that time or new songs in any case with very old ones and the old one there was david bowie did you recognize his voice i bet you did so recognizable but probably not that song. It was yet another flop from David Bowie. He started his career with flop after flop after flop after flop. That was, let's see, his second solo single and sixth single overall. No hits anywhere in the world. It was the B-side we heard there called I'm Not Losing Sleep. The B-side to the A-side called I Dig Everything. Released on the 19th of August, 1966, to no fanfare. It was entirely possible we would have never heard of David Bowie if he didn't keep finding new people who believed in his talent and let him keep releasing records, because most people who had that many flops just disappeared. And some of them, like The Creation, found success in continental Europe, which allowed them at least to have a profile. Or others, like The Action, were just part of a mod scene and got rediscovered later, but who knows? A lot of the stuff I play you from England in the 60s were from people who only put out three or four singles and just disappeared. Bowie was so good that he just kept getting new deals and 
and getting new producers who couldn't understand why it wasn't breaking through. That one was produced by Tony Hatch, one of the more successful and famous uh, producers of that English scene in the mid-60s, so he must have been really scratching his head because uh, that was the second flop for Pie Records, as I said, David Bowie under his own name, and they gave up on him. They released him from his contract. He began in 64 when he was still David Jones, age 17, with backing bands like the King Bees on the record and the Manish Boys on two others. Uh, uh, sorry, no, uh, uh, the Lower Third was on two others, and he also had a band called the Manish Boys, so that was the first four singles uh, before he became David Bowie. Uh, I think the, le- the Lower Third one was David Bowie in the Lower Third. He had to change his name in 66 same year from the track we heard there because of the emergence of the monkeys and Davy Jones. So he became David Bowie. A lot of people know that. It wasn't actually until his 10th single, after five years of trying in 1969, when he not only hit big, he hit gigantic. Space Oddity was not only his first top 40 hit in England, it went to number one. That's what I call famine, 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 feast. And it went to number 15 in America, too, and the race was on from there. He didn't have another hit for a while, but, uh, you know, if you have a number one hit at all, people will remember you, especially if you're that talented. And I think that's a great song. I I really dig the 60s flops of David Bowie. They were just fantastic songs, a lot of them. Before that, a song that would uh, eventually become much better known because of its inclusion in the Garden State movie in 2004, but remember I made that tape in 2002. But... uh, from the 2001 album by the Shins called Oh, Inverted World, that was Carrying is Creepy, the opening track of that. Self-produced by James Mercer, the singer-songwriter, and released on the very tiny Omnibus Records label before Sub Pop took it over and uh, made it much more influential and famous. In fact, it was a critic favorite that year once Sub Pop took it over. So I'm not giving myself any props knowing about that band in 2002, but as I said, after after the shins got not only played in but spotlit in the uh, the script of Garden State, um, they became a lot bigger. Emmett Rhodes. Before that, uh, speaking of songs that ended up in movies, I don't think the Royal Ten and Bonds was out in 2002, was it? I could be wrong about that. I should have looked it up. But uh, Wes Anderson, the famous underground filmmaker that a lot of us really admire included that song amazingly to me in the Royal Town and Bombs movie uh, and Emmett Rhodes was putting out that song Lullaby very very short song at that on his self-titled album in 1970 an album famously recorded in his own studio in his parents garage which was very rare back then kind of the tin pop poor man self-recording Paul McCartney of that time in the last couple of weeks, I played you a track of his from his previous um, incarnation of his band, the Merry-Go-Round, but it's mostly as his solo records uh, that uh, people seem to know him apart from the very kind of minor success the Merry-Go-Round had. Bell and Sebastian before that gave us a song called Waking Up to Us, but I already played that for you. Remember, my proviso is try not to do that. So I found a live version in this case it wasn't on the original Many Moods tape, but uh, that was a pretty good live version, and it's infamous in Britain. It was on the Later with Jules Holland show, on again on the BBC, so that's my third one today, November the 30th, 2001, the same year that that went to number 39 in the UK charts, which is what prompted their British, their British TV appearance. 
and I think that song is very, very forever changes. If you know that love album that I bang on about here on this show quite a bit, one of my favorite albums of all time, especially the strings in that middle spoken word part. Now that spoken word part, speaking of, is by the soon to depart member Isabel Campbell, who'd been in the band since the beginning and had been the singer songwriter Stuart Murdoch's girlfriend. They'd broken up and continued on the band, but that had caused all kinds of tension, as you can imagine. And in fact, uh, she would leave the band in the middle of a U.S. tour, not long thereafter, about three or four months later in the spring uh, here in North America. Now, at the time, they said it was amicable, but uh, um, after I made that tape around mm, 2003 or so, uh, a year later or so, uh, she would tell the Herald of Scotland, quote, uh, that her last two years with Bell and Sebastian were far from amicable. Well, here's where the quote starts. She said, when she broke up with Murdoch, their relationship within the band broke down too. Now, this is where the quote starts, sorry. For the last two years, we weren't able to talk to each other at all. We spoke through our manager. It wasn't that we didn't try to talk to each other. We just couldn't. We just were so enraged. <laughs> we just so enraged each other. And then in, a re- in another interview, Stuart Murdoch seemed to take most of the blame. He said, quote, I didn't act very admirably that whole time. It was Word magazine he said this to. Um, but uh, added Campbell, I think we each knew what buttons to push. Now, if you watch the footage on Later with Jules Holland, you can see the tension, which is what makes that TV show so... Uh, I don't know, kind of infamous to people I know in England who like Bell and Sebastian. I mean, they're not exactly glaring at each other, but uh, a lot of people believe that song was actually written by Murdoch about the failure of their actual personal relationship, about their romance. So I can imagine that's almost like uh, what Stevie Nicks had to do for so many years, singing the famous Fleetwood Mac song, uh, where... where, uh, well, Mick Fleetwood had said, or had uh, said some not, not very not Mick Fleetwood. What am I saying here? Uh, Lindsey Buckingham had said some not very nice things in the lyrics uh, to the song that uh, all of us know to this day. Uh, that would be um, "You Can Go Your Own Way," and uh, the song, the lyrics to "Waking Up to Us" are anything but complimentary. Wouldn't you agree? Well, Johnny Cash was the one before that. You, everyone knows Johnny Cash. That there's no other artist like him. We heard "Cry, Cry, Cry," the B side to "Hey Porter" from 1955. Two years later, it was stuck on an album called "With His Hot and Blue Guitar." His first hit single, in fact, was "Cry, Cry, Cry" on the legendary Sun Records label before he went to the major labels, and what turned out to be a very long, successful career, leading to his first major tour with another Sun artist at that time. Named Elvis Presley. Bad Religion before that. That was that really fast, hardcore song. I think that is so hot. Such a hot song. Materialist from the 2000 album, The Process of Belief, the reunion of uh, Mr. Brett, Brett Garrett's back in the band after he missed three albums. Uh, buried the Hatchet in particular with bassist um, in, in the band, Jay Bentley. A lot of people thought the falling out was with the uh, singer songwriter Greg Graffin, who writes half the songs in Bad Religion, leading Graffin to have to write all the songs for three albums. But no, they they were both quite adamant that the real falling out was between Jay and 
And Brett, while well, they were able to successfully bury that hatchet, because it's been now 24 years that Brett's been back in the band uh, and co-writing half the material, as um, makes perfect sense. Now, that one was written by Greg Graffin. I had to look up some of the uh, stuff, as usual. It was going back to Theosaurus Rock, as they called it. Uh, do you know what an incipient sensonance is? Well, incipient, I knew, that's like initial, but um, sensonance is biological aging and the gradual deterioration of functional characteristics in living organisms relating to the theory that nothing exists. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> that's actually the word materialist is relating to the theory that nothing exists except matter and its movements and modifications. So there's a few things you need to look up if you can even make out the auctioneer quick lyrics spit out by the guy who wrote that song, Greg Graffin. But uh, I love that song so much, I've played it a good hundred times in my life and kind of memorized it. So it helps to know what he's actually singing about. The Beach Boys, before that, gave us Catch a Wave from the 1963 album Surfer Girl, a song that you may recognize if you really, really listen carefully to the show week in, week out, because it was done later by Jan and Dean with different lyrics as Sidewalk Surfing. I've played that for you. That one went to number 25. was an actual hit. Catch a Wave was never a hit in this country because it was only an album track. So in 64 is when it went to number 25 for Jan and Dean with those uh, lyrics rewritten by Catch a Wave's lyricist Roger Christian to be about sidewalk surfing, i.e. skateboarding, instead of about surfing like Catch a Wave. The music written by Brian Wilson, who does a great falsetto there on the Beach Boys bits when... Mike Love is not singing the most of the um, lead parts, but uh, we have another death to mention this week, which is that of Melinda Ledbetter Wilson, the wife of Brian Wilson. She died January 30th, age 77. She was the mother of their five adopted children. And uh, I didn't know Melinda. I only met her once. You can't say you really know someone if you meet them once. But uh, Michael Ackerman will back me up on this. Uh, we were guests in her home, in their home, when they were living in Bel Air, because I was there in the late 90s to interview Brian and asked Ackerman, who was an absolute Beach Boys fanatic and expert, to come with me. Um, we both were just overjoyed to be there. But uh, we were there in the house for about a half an hour, and she gave us a very friendly tour, including we got to see his piano where he composed his songs and where he spent a lot of his happiest hours when they were by themselves. And uh, she gave us sandwiches. She's like, are you guys hungry? You want some food? She made them herself, uh, gave us drinks. I mean, she just was so friendly. I had already been kind of predisposed to the idea that she really was uh, someone who took care Brian Wilson all those years, and she wasn't the second Eugene Landy puppeteer kind of person exploiting him. Uh, I think she wanted him to make music because it seemed to be when he was happiest, and he did play the piano very briefly for us there, and he did seem wondrously happy when he did that. And just observing her, uh, talking to some of the other writers who were there, there that day to interview him and listening to him, or listening to her talk to him from the other room when she was introducing us before we came in, what publication we were from and stuff. She just seemed like she really, really liked taking care of him. She believed in him as a person and uh, knew that he had some obvious mental issues, as you could see if you read the interview we did. He would answer the questions uh, by repeating them first, and then he would answer them fine. It was a tick 
but that's how he could do it. And he gave us a great interview as a result. But as I said, every time we'd asked a question, he would repeat the question before he'd answer it. But Melinda just seems like a really lovely person. Uh, you can't tell anything about anybody from meeting them once. They, they could be having a very nice day or the context of meeting you might produce a very lovely person. But that was the impression I got, and other people I know who met her have said the same thing. So there you go. And we started that set with the Beavis Frond, Artillery Row from Valedictory Songs was the leadoff track of That Many Moods of Jack Rabbit, Volume 34 tape that I set down February 26, 2002, and gave away to 30 or 40. My friends, uh, a few of them mentioned they like hearing them again on this show. But even if you didn't get that tape, hopefully you enjoy them now, 24 years later. Well, i got one more regular set to do for you here before I say goodbye. Uh, this is going to be more of our normal thing where I'm going to play, um, let's see, one, two, four, four new songs, one old live recording and two old songs. That's what's going to make up this set. We're going to start with one of the old ones. I just feel like listening to this old 1963 vintage ska track on the Dr. Bird label to start us off. Get us in the right mood before we hear uh, not oh, five straight songs uh, that uh, I think are really, really interesting. Four of them brand new, and four of them at least sung by a female. But uh, this old Scott track to cut us off here is a really good one. Uh, a fellow who was known for his stint in the Scatolites before he went solo. His name is Roland Alfonso, and his backing band here is The Upsetters. This 1963 uh, single is called Way Out West. <laughs> Thank you. 
And it was action And she was passion But she broke my heart Cause hers was fractured Baby, if you jump tonight I will catch you gone all the time I won't let you if you float away I'll be your strength
these cold winter nights is another chance to have your senses assaulted by rock and roll at its finest. That's right, in the spirit, the true spirit that is, of Return to the Planet of the Apes and the Return of the Killer Tomatoes, or tomatoes as you prefer, for the next eight weeks we bring you Return to the Dome. Now on tonight's programme we'll be bringing you music from Mr Testosterone himself, Alexander O'Neill. There'll be a thoughtful collaboration between Talking Heads David Byrne and Richard Thompson. Keziah Jones plays Blue Funk and we give you a second chance to witness Massive Attack's one and only live performance. But first, here's a band who've been tipped for global greatness. They've just returned from a tour of Russia and their new album Spooky was released this month. Here with Ocean are the wonderful Lush.
Ocean is the name of the song from the appropriately titled Lush. Here's a song I love to sing It's about the man that wears my ring That he gets everything Cause when he's cold He knows I'm warm And I warm him in my arms And when he's sad Oh I'm his shelter from the storm Promise, two old songs, four new ones, one old live one. The sort of thing you hear pretty much week in, week out here on the Big Takeover Show with your host, Jack Rabbit. That's me on the station, realpunkradio.com. I hope you give some of the other DJs on the station a chance now and then. They play some really interesting stuff as well, so I believe. And we are indeed coming down to the end. we got one more song to play for you before I say goodbye of the show marked 400 and 72 and as many Mondays I never want to miss a Monday I say that every week because it's true it's really fun bringing this music to you I hope if nothing else even when I talk too much like I did today that comes across I don't have a lot to say about Tammy Wynette she was world famous Uh, I don't have to tell you much other than the song we heard was called Singing My Song went to number one on the country charts which happened to her quite a lot (laughs) Uh, and number 75 on the pop charts did not cross over. I think that was pretty much what happened to her all through her career, with the one exception of the song that was following up. Her previous single went to number 19, her only top 40 hit in the pop charts, and that was, of course, the famous Stand By Your Man. Singing my song just returned her to being a queen of country, which she remained the rest of her regrettably too short life. But uh, the catch in her voice is what I always think about Tammy Wynette. Every one of her performances has that little catch in her voice, which I sometimes hear in pop singers 
like uh, the old uh, belly and, uh, and throwing muses, great, that we all love so much. Tanya Donnelly. Speaking of great female singers, uh, Mickey Berenier is one of my favorites, and she's the lead singer on the live track we heard before that. I wanted to play that for you because the news just came down that she's coming over with her trio, which I believe includes her husband, uh, Moose from Moose, Kevin McKillop, and the drummer from the last uh, two bands she was in, Lush from their reunion at least four, about five, six, seven, eight years ago, and from uh, Modern English and from her, her band Poroshka. So it's like Poroshka is a trio called the Mickey Berenyi Trio. They're coming here to do eight shows in May and June, starting out west. They're going to do five out west, one in Denver, one in Chicago, and only one East Coast show finishing here in New York at Webster Hall June 8th, and I will be there without question. Now, we heard her as a much younger lady there 32 years ago when the album Spooky came out, as you could tell there from the introduction. That's the fourth song today we heard from the BBC. A lot of them today, right? I didn't plan it that way. It just happened. Live at the Dome, a BBC Channel 4 production, January 4th, 92. We heard, as I said, Ocean. Now, if you're going to see the Mickey, uh, Mickey Berenyi trio for those eight shows, uh, they're going to be joined for seven of them, all but Los Angeles, by Lowell Tolhurst from The Cure and Budgie from Susie and the Banshees on the slits before that and Bing in Japan before that. So uh, they, had, Lowell Tolhurst and Budgie have a record out, so you can check that out. But uh, that's what I call some English royalty on one stage. There are seven of those gigs for sure. Nice to hear that track. Uh, Lush was super underrated, if you ask me. Seemed to go well with us com- contemporaries of Lush that was also female-fronted. I'm speaking of Camera Obscura, but that's not an oldie of theirs. That's a newie. Got to wait, let's see, till uh, May the 3rd before the new Camera Obscura album is out. That album is called Look to the East, Look to the West. And we heard the only single off it so far, Big Love, Tracy Ann Campbell. Still leading that Glasgow Scottish bunch who've been around 28 years now, but they've only released five albums, so this one's going to be the sixth one. And uh, Look to the East, Look to the West will be their first, in fact, in 11 years. They also are coming to America, so you can also see them in May and June. They're starting off in Philadelphia, May 29th, and ending in New York at Webster Hall, June the 20th. So for those three weeks, they're going to traverse around the country and come back to the East Coast. So if you're a gigantic fan and you live around here, you have two shots. You can see them at the beginning down in Philly and at the end here in New York. But uh, that's good news that they're still around. That album's coming out on Merge, so I'm bound to be in a lot of stores on the 3rd of May. Whereas we heard two requests from Elizabeth Klizowitz before that. She wanted to hear Conchor White uh, from the County Armagh in Ulster, Northern Ireland. That's uh, southwest of Belfast and south of Derry. The very first album by that Northern Irish person. Swirling Violets is the name of the album. We heard The Woman in the War. Lumari is another request of hers, Miss Elizabeth, from an album called In Phases. Now, that's fantastic. That song was called In Waves, and I've already earmarked a couple other songs off that record that I'd like to play for you in the weeks to come. Thank you, Elizabeth, once again alerting me to a truly remarkable band I was not um, familiar with, in this case, a Minneapolis foursome fronted by Margot Pearson, very talented. 
Check out that Bandcamp page if you want to see what I'm on about there. Whereas Jane Weaver is another uh, artist Elizabeth loves. In fact, I think uh, she's going to be reviewing the upcoming new album in issue 94. We're just starting work on that now, the spring issue to come, a big takeover. I played you four bands earlier, interviewed in 93. That's the one with uh, Slow Dive on the cover, which just came out at the end of last year. So still a brand new issue. Well, Jane Weaver gave us Love and Constant Spectacle. That is the title track. Uh, from the album of that same name. Really good track. The album is due April the 5th. The 10th album, I think it is, or 11th, for the Liverpool-born UK singer. She's got a nice little fan base, so not telling you anything there you don't need to know. We started with Roland Alfonso and his upsetters way out west from 1963 from the late Cuban-born Jamaican saxophonist and founder of the Scatolites, who was involved in their 80s reunion tours before his death in 1998. Gone solo here after the Scatolites disbanded, backed by Soul Brothers, Johnny Dizzy Moore and Jackie Matu, if I have that correct. Well, it is time for me to leave. I often leave you with an oldie. Today I'm going to leave you from one of my favorite albums last year, which I haven't played enough tracks from, and I like it so much. And besides, this is the closing track from Ron Sexsmith's album last year called Vivian Line. It seems like a really good one to end the show with, too. His 16th album, and all 16 of them worth owning, if you ask me. A good one to end with, for sure. Ron, just he just knows how to write songs, and he always sings them, and that big, round, sincere voice of his melts my little heart every time. With that, I will say so long. My thanks to Jim Santo. He's the one who posts these shows at BigTakeover.com slash radio, where you can hear them over and over. You can just forward past the mic bricks, make a mixtape out of it, kind of like those Many Moods ones, and just enjoy the mix of music here all over again and uh, cut out my yakking. Thanks as well to Tommy at the station. I hope to have lunch with him soon. We almost did that last week, but he wasn't feeling up to it. Thanks to the uh, sponsors of the show I mentioned earlier, and thanks to you for listening and making it to the end. That's really nice of you. I really work hard on the show, hoping you'll do that. So it's really friendly of you. I love sharing music with you, for sure. I promise you that. And uh, rest in peace once again, uh, Melinda and uh, uh, Melinda Wilson and Wayne Kramer. I'm sorry that I keep having to introduce deaths every issue, but there's been quite a few of late. May that cease quickly so I don't have to. And again with Ron Sexsmith's Ever Wonder from the Vivian line. I will indeed say so long. And we'll see you again next Monday here on the Big Tick Over Show on realpunkradio.com. Bye-bye. Ever wonder why our plans fall asunder Why things always get off track Whenever the doubt comes Could that lead to the outcome Ever wonder about that Do you ever wonder why our hands Asunder There's always so much to unpack Where the light goes, guess that old